sometimes unconventional, but always entertaining. They're kooky and they're spooky. It's time to cross to the other side. Welcome to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. Good evening to all of our spooksters from the paranormal world, the living, the dead, the quirky and the slightly weird. You are listening to Spooky Sundays with your host, myself, Anne Rekovich, paranormal investigator extraordinaire. And over there is the luscious Renata Danielle. How are you? Hello. How was that for an introduction? <clears throat> that was. We had a bit of a buzz happening, didn't we? We did. And you pointed and it stopped. I did, because I have power. You do have power. <laughs> you scare me, I know that. Well, hasn't it been a big week? We've been in New Orleans. Yes. New Orleans. Yes. And we've been eating delicious food. We've been going down the steamboats with the paddle steamers. We've been having the Big nets, or if you call them, which is those sweet, delicious treats covered in uh, powdered sugar. Okay, and I'm definitely, yeah, definitely yep. having those. We've put on three kilos. Oh, just and in the first two hours. <laughs> we've we've bought herbs and and spices and and little baggies of jujus that we, we can't, can't bring take. back. <laughs> we can't take back. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to have to hide them in a cavity, Ed. I'm not walking with you. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to walk with you. Um, but we, we can we can show it to customs as we come through mm-hmm. and say, can we bring this in, please? <laughs> and I because need it. if you take it from us, you're going to be it's, cursed. It's a religious artefact. I need it. It's <laughs> part of my spiritual well-being. I'm sure if I said it was a sliver of Jesus' cross, you'd let me bring it in? Yeah. Just exactly. because it's some nuts and figs and herbs and and spices and powders and a little voodoo doll with pins in it, that doesn't mean it's not... We're not nasty. It doesn't mean that we're naughty people. No, well, maybe. (laughs) Oh, Oh, but yeah, we're having a great time. And I I sort of worked out that we must be around the plantations by now. Mm -hmm. So we're either at Oak, Oak Alley Plantation or we're at Myrtle's Plantation. It must be because I know, um... Uh, we, we're starting to head out of the city because we kicked off the tour uh, four days ago uh-huh. uh, and I think it was Wednesday and this is now Sunday. Uh-huh. So we must be about to head out of NOLA, oh, out into the can't. to the um, bayou. Oh. What, what do you mean, no? No, I never want to leave. I might never want to leave. You might have to drag me away. I might have to I hide, might leave you there. <laughs> hide in a cupboard and go, no, I'm not here. I'm not here, mummy. I haven't finished shopping. <laughs> I have to make some more money so I can go shopping. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Spend it all on food mm. and, and mint juleps. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, I have some news of the week. Well, fancy that. Yes. And I've kind of, I've, I've kind of found that um, spooky news must be a bit slow in the uh-huh. UK because they're doing more of like infomercial type of things instead of oh. actually saying that there's something new. But anyway, this is absolutely happening right now in the world of the haunted cities. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk to you tonight about um, York. Oh, one of yes. our favourite towns. York. York. And it's uh, <coughs> one of the UK's most haunted cities and uh, apparently, apparently, this particular article says there are over 500 ghosts there. 
Who counted those? Well, remember that little store that we found where they had the ghosts? Yes. Little clay figurines. I wonder if they counted them in. Maybe. 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 So, it's voted one of the best places to live and visit in the UK, and I do have to say it is. Whitby Abbey. With beautiful cafes. No, it's got nothing to do with Whitby Abbey. What am I thinking? York. Yes. Oh, no, that's, that's... Get it, get it right. Sorry. Yeah, you're in the wrong area completely, but never mind. <clears throat> never mind. People. I'm under the weather a little bit fine. here. She's fine. We've, we've got her. <laughs> My uh, voice is only just hanging in there, you know. Beautiful cafes, famous restaurants, winding streets and a stunning cathedral, which I have a piece of legally. But what? when the bustling daytime crowds disperse, eerie shadows fall on the city and whispering voices can be heard down dark lanes. I remember when my husband got me for my birthday a piece of a burnt um, piece of timber from York Cathedral? No. Sorry. It must have been very meaningful. Oh, I've told it so often. Yeah, I never and listen. No, no, do you haven't worked that out yet? You don't. Anyway. I'm so respectful. York, known as Europe's most haunted city, place host to over 500 ghosts and historical <laughs> tales of peculiar happenings. Almost every cobbled road and ancient building has a scary tale to tell. And residents all have their own unexplained hair-raising experiences with spectres. That would be good in the 80s. You wouldn't have had to use so much hairspray. From Old Burden Hall, where neighbours hear frightening voices of murdered orphans. Oh, no. To the phantom-infested King's Arm King's Arms pub. That's I'm yet to go there. King's so that Arm one, Pits. King's huh? Arms pub. They had, they had a boil a there. a former staff member swears she was strangled by a ghost. And she lived to tell the tale. Yeah, the city's rich Roman and Victorian history continues to live on and spook York locals centuries later. To uncover what it's really like to live amongst the ghosts, we spoke to Mark Graham, who Hello, runs Mark. the oldest ghost walk in the world, the original ghost walk of York. Mark, 68, oh, I've got three years to go, and his oh, wife, she's Sharon. she's told everyone how old she is. And his wife, Sharon, 61. Sharon, Mark and Sharon. Meet at 8pm every single night to lead guided tours around the city's dimly lit alleyways and haunted Buildings. Kudos to you two for doing this every single night well of the year. Well done. Congratulations. You deserve an award. You're not being paid enough money. I don't care how much you get. You're not being paid enough money. Please keep going until you're at least 70 because that's what I'm intending to do. So please don't don't stop now, Mark. Keep going. What am I meant to do when you hit 70? I don't know. Find something else to do. Oh, great. Thanks for that. Jeez, I feel loved. <laughs> Go on, keep going. No more holidays for you then. (laughs) Sharing his own personal experiences with ghosts, Mark said, I'm not a psychic investigator, I'm a storyteller and I've seen shapes and shadows. I used to live in the city where the old orphanage stood in Burden. The ghosts of orphans were who were ill-treated are said to haunt it. I've heard those voices many times. While Mark is prepared to accept alternative explanations, he said, I do know neighbours of mine who claim to have seen ghostly children 
in their houses mm-hmm. and they are not alone. One dog walker claimed he could hear the sound of children playing in the street late one night and when he tried to investigate, his pup started cowering and refused to budge. He briefly let his pet and uh, left his pet and entered the passage and the voices immediately stopped. Another man who was working as an architect on the site said he felt something claw at his shoulder, but nobody else was there. He was left with a small scratch the size of a tiny hand. There are several places in the city that have the ghost of a lost boy, Mark explained, mentioning the King's Arms pub. Some people suggest he looks like an orphan of the past, Others say he looks like a little boy now. Some believe he stepped into our world and others say we stepped into his. It's a mystery. It seems to be quite a recent apparition. Though the most famous ghost story in York is that of a 17-year-old named Harry Martindale who used to work on Mark's ghost walks in the 80s. In 1953, Harry was working as a plumber in the cellar of the treasurer's house. Oh, this story is famous. He was deep underground when he heard a bugle horn. (laughs) From out of the wall in front of him stepped a Roman soldier. He screamed and fell off his ladder, scampered into the corner and watched 20 Roman soldiers walk through this wall. Oh, I would give so much to see something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Eventually, he ran out and told everyone. Guess what I saw? Yeah. But nobody believed him. He became a religious born-again Christian. Oh, Oh, why would you do that? It was the only way of coping with what he had seen. Evidence has since proven that it was where the Roman road to the north-facing via Decumana Decumana was. Harry stuck to his story throughout his lifetime until he died a few years ago. The Grade 1 listed building is now owned by the National Trust. Let me in, let me in. According to legend, the corpse of the notorious highwayman Dick Turpin, who was hanged in 1739, was kept in the cellar of the Blue Boar Pub for people to view. What? The Blue Ball Pub? Blue Boar. A B-O-A-R. boar. I thought it was the Blue Ball. His body was, that was popular. His body was stolen by a friend and buried in the church graveyard called St. George's. Aww. In the cellar of the pub and along the houses of that street, people reckon they can still see him standing at the entrance with his arms up as if pleading for something, maybe forgiveness. But... The Highwayman's Tale is not the most terrifying pub talk. There are lots of stories I cannot tell because they are too disturbing for people and families in York. Disturbed. Mark admitted. Oh, tell me. I'll give you 20 bucks. And though he claimed there is a pub called the Black Swan where it's not unusual to see people collapse at the bar, when one of our guides was younger, she opened up the pub to work there and suddenly felt something strangling her. Oh, dear. She thought it was somebody behind her, so she kicked, but there was nothing there. It only ended when there was a bang at the door and someone came in for a drink. Bang. The door slammed. That was terrible. The door slammed shut and it broke the spell, Mark added. Some people will suggest that ghosts can't harm you physically, but they can make you do things to yourself. The Black Swan owners say their boozer is home for a number of ghosts, with a whole section on their website dedicated to the reported sightings. 
let's do one on the black swan. A regular at the pub who resembles Charlie Chaplin is a workman in a bowler hat who gives the impression he is waiting for someone as he fidgets frequently, must have ADHD, (laughs) gradually fading away. Another frequently seen ghost is a young woman in a long white dress, they say, who stands at the bar in the back room gazing into the fireplace, while another apparition is a pair of man's legs seen terrifyingly wandering around the staff quarters. Oh, that would be hilarious. When asked what ghosts look like, Mark described, just like you or me, or wisps of air, shadows with eyes. They come in many different forms. Harry Martindale said they looked like perfectly normal human beings, only bedraggled and tired. One of them glanced towards him, but he said he looked through him. All residents in New York will have their own perceptions and opinions about ghosts, and while not everyone believes in them, they each have a story. Wow. So good. So good. That was awesome. Yeah. But do you know what? That was a very long segment. We've got to get off and go to a song. Let's go. We'll be back in a minute. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. And welcome back to Spooky Sundays. Oh, we've got some stories to tell you now. So as you know, we've, we're in New Orleans. Um, and I wanted to tell you about a couple of the hotels we're going to stay at. Mm-hmm. Now, we will have stayed at these ones by the time we get to this show. But uh, we leave on Friday in the, the real world where we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, fly out Saturday morning. But we first, as we said before, we're staying at Mad- Madame Isabel's, which you told me is a, a commune, um, <laughs> which I can barely wait. So apparently the the person, Madame Isabel, was a long-time tenant of the neighbourhood and they've honoured her name by giving the, the place we're staying at right. the name of Madame Isabel. Mm-hmm. But there is a ghost. Oh, is there? There is a ghost. There is a rumour. Um, that her spirit lives on in one of the local cats that often frequents the hostel. So treat her well and she'll treat you well soon. Mm. I was treat you well as well. Mm-hmm. I just like that because that now we have to go pat all the pussies. Yes, we do. We do. Uh, but <clears throat> we realised, uh, <clears throat> well, I realised... I had missed a night's accommodation, as I do every now and then, but that gives us the opportunity to pop in something a little um, special, because mm-hmm. we're special. Mm-hmm. And when we were going to run this tour back in, was it? 2020. 2020. Uh, we had booked to stay at the Andrew Jackson Hotel, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be very, very haunted. It's got a couple of ghosts. It's in the French Quarter. It's a local treasure of the of the town. Uh, it overlooks a beautiful Royal Street and is framed by 18th century European architecture. Oh, yes. <gasps> oh, we can put our little pinkies in the air and pretend we're posh. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The oh, and apparently it's pet friendly as well. Oh, I know. It's one block from Bourbon Street, mm-hmm. but it's still quiet. It's got the elegant wrought iron balconies, a tranquil courtyard. Oh, I can barely wait. But let me tell you about the stories of the ghosts that we might encounter. Mm-hmm. There is supposed to be the ghosts of five orphan boys. 
Now, the current building that is the Andrew Jackson Hotel was built in 1890, but the site on which it stands already had many tales to tell before the hotel was constructed. Mm -hmm. In 1792, the grounds were home to a boarding school and an orphanage for boys, many of whom had lost their parents to yellow fever. Just two years later, in December of 1794, a devastating fire swept through the city, destroying a large number of incredible buildings throughout the quarter. And I think we talked about that in our Ursuline Nuns story that we did. Was it Ursuline Nuns? Um, I've mentioned the... Yeah, I think what we'll find is we'll be mentioning this fire a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the successful boarding school was one of the buildings that crumbled amongst the flames and inside it, five young orphan boys perished. Today, guests have sworn that they have heard laughter and footsteps of the boys running around the hotel and playing in the courtyard. Some guests have even claimed to be on the receiving end of a couple of maybe little harmless pranks, such as turning televisions on at night and other ghostly hijinks. But that's not all, Renata. Mm -hmm. We've got Armand. That's, that's their name, I think. Now, if you really want to have a truly chilling experience, we need to request to stay in room 208. 208. It's known to be the most haunted room of the whole hotel. The main ghost resident of 208 is a young boy named Armand, one of the orphan boys whose unfortunate end is the source of some debate. Some say he was thrown from the second-story balcony perhaps in an attempt to save him from the flames, while others have claimed he committed suicide. But one thing is for certain, Amand likes to play games with the living. Come play with us, Amand, in a non-weird way. (laughs) Um, uh, Guests have claimed to feel something cold touching their skin. Others have said their sheets have been pulled up around them at night. It's the sheet of protection. (laughs) While others have been pushed out of their beds. Don't be doing that, Amand. I will not be happy. Although Amand never seems to wish any ill will, he's just having a little bit of childish childish fun. Guests still get a chill when lights and faucets turn on and off by themselves and personal belongings are moved from one place to another or even disappear. But wait. There's more. There's more. Another common ghost sighting is uh, a number of guests, uh, of a number of guests and hotel employees, is that of a woman who appears to be straightening up the rooms, fluffing Ah. pillows, Mm -hmm. uh, rearranging furniture possibly. Some say that she's a former housekeeper of the hotel. Many believe it might be one of the caretakers of the young boys, like a matron or something, right. uh, still watching over them and keeping things neat and tidy. She's been spotted in several of the hotel rooms and most frequently in the hotel lobby, but you never know where she might appear next. Mm. And the last one yep. I'm going to talk about is the man himself. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. So after the boarding school burned down in 1794, a U.S. federal courthouse was erected at the site and remained until the turn of the 20th century when it was demolished. It was the courthouse where Major General Andrew Jackson was indicted for contempt of court and charged with obstruction of justice 
I think there's someone over there that's been reading his book. Shortly after Jackson and his troops defeated the British in the Battle of New Orleans, many guests have claimed to spot the ghost of Andrew Jackson parading around the halls of the hotel, but of course, it begs the question, why? After all, Andrew Jackson didn't die in the hotel, but who's to say what makes ghosts do the things that they do? Uh-huh. <laughs> now, look, I, I think I've got time to squeeze this in. <clears throat> we are staying at another hotel. Now, we're actually going to be at this hotel for about four or five nights. Mm-hmm. And it's the Hotel Provincial. And mm-hmm. I was watching um, one of the, the info things on YouTube today about New Orleans because I'm studying up. And apparently it is quite haunted as well. And it was recommended as one of the top places to go and stay. So Maria's found us somewhere nice. But uh, there is a bit of history behind the actual uh, place. It's got a beautiful appointed lobby area, lush tropical courtyards, carefully restored outbuildings. uh, And it's really quite beautiful. But during the war between the states, the hotel served as a hospital for the Confederate wounded. Uh-oh. A hospital. <laughs> it's been rumoured that once a security guard got off the elevator onto the second floor and stepped into a frantic hospital scene right out of Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. A time slip. A time slip. <gasps> so you know what he did? He ran away. He backed up into the elevator and and got out of there. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm sort of excited with the history like that. Uh, One of the buildings was used as... um, as I said, a hospital guests and staff alike have reported seeing ghostly figures dressed in Confederate soldier uniforms, sometimes appearing wounded. There have been stories of apparitions moaning in pain, flickering lights, and even a cold presence in even the hottest New Orleans summer day. Mm. Uh, others have claimed to witness blood stains mysteriously appearing and then disappearing on the bed sheets. That could be awkward. Mm-hmm. Room 200 and Building 500 are often cited as particularly active. In room 200, guests have reported being startled awake by the sensation of someone or something touching them. Touch me. Touch her. Touch me. Touch Touch me. They've also heard the unsettling sounds of children laughing or crying when there are no children present. In Building 500, people say they've experienced sudden drops in temperature, seen shadowy figures move across the room, unexplained footsteps echo down the halls when there is no one there, and doors slam shut of their own accord. Oh, gosh. Get me there now. Yes, I'm in for that. I hope we get one of those rooms, and uh, we might ask them. Can we upgrade to a haunted room, please? Yes, please. All right, we'll be back after this song, everyone. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. And we're back with Spooky Sundays, I believe, Renata. Mm -hmm. You're going to take us to a cemetery. Yes. What's the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery? Let people know. A graveyard surrounds a church. And a cemetery is usually further away from the church. So it's got nothing to do with the church. might be over the road or down the hill or somewhere else. Uh, And they usually, well, if there's a church on the premises, it becomes a graveyard. So there you go. 
There you go. Thank you for sharing your <coughs> wiseness. Mm, so I'm going to tell you about St Rock Cemetery, New Orleans. Oh, there's that buzz. That's all we need. There we go. I'm, I'm touching the button that stopped. Go on. <laughs> uh, and this is really interesting. Let me tell you. In the neighbourhood of St Rock, New Orleans, there's a cemetery. At the centre of that cemetery is a chapel. And inside the chapel, in a small room behind an iron gate, are rows and rows of prosthetic legs. What? Plaster feet, false teeth and a few pairs of artificial eyeballs. What the hell? The chapel dedicated in 1867 honours St Rock, who was associated with good health and healing. So he was born in the mid-14th century in the Montpellier, Majorca, uh, now part of France. So St Rock is said to have cared for and cured plague victims in Italy. There's a buzz still. I'm, I'm not sure what I can do about it, but keep going. Uh, when a yellow fever epidemic hit, 19th century New Orleans, Reverend Peter Thevis, the pastor of Holy Trinity Catholic Church, prayed to St. Rock, Rock for relief and promised to build a shrine to him if the members of his parish were protected from the disease. Though 40,000 people in New Orleans succumbed to yellow fever, 40,000 Father wow. Thevis' community recorded no losses. <gasps> wow. The Reverend therefore held up his bargain and built St. Rock chapel and the surrounding cemetery. The gates opened to the public in 1876. So a room in the chapel has since become filled with offerings left by those in need of healing as well as people who have prayed to St Rock and recovered. So does that mean they've grown their legs and arms back and eyeballs? I don't know. They've left them there. I don't know. They must have grown them back. It's It's a a miracle. We're going to stand there and do that. Bricks on the ground are inscribed with the words thanks and littered with coins. Children's polio braces, crutches and false limbs line the walls interspersed with praying hands, rosaries and figurines. More eclectic objects such as a can of corn (laughs) and a Ronald McDonald figurine appear occasionally, either laden with personal meaning or put there on a whim. I've got nothing to give. I'll give them a can of corn. Yeah, <gasps> I mean, it might have been the last amount of food they had to sustain their family. Yeah. And they've given it to St. Rock. St. Rock. Because they didn't have a limb to give. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, we, as we have just finished. Oh, um, hold on. Um, my eyes just need to roll back out of the back <laughs> of my head. Yeah, keep going. Uh, it's common practice for mourners to leave a small trinket at grave sites as a sign of remembrance and affection, especially when the voodoo religion is involved. Uh, and there are many gods that are honoured with items such as rum, cigars, hard candy and money. We better go stocked. Can Will they take Tim Tams? Tim Tams. Maybe ca- caramello koalas? However, I must say... Um, I've never heard of prosthetic limbs and plaster casts of body parts being left behind as a sign of devotion and faith. But you must remember that you are in the presence of St. Rock and he is there to protect everyone and give them healing. He's solid as Mm. a rock. He says the chapel looks more like Dr. Frankenstein's (laughs) workshop with a dash of of Catholicism thrown in for good measure. (laughs) As and a can opposed, of corn. As opposed to a place of worship. Oh. 
Can we get our GoPro in there? However, once you learn the backstory of this strange tradition and unique anatomically correct decor, you can digest <laughs> the scenery a tad bit easier. Ah, the history of this unique chapel and cemetery begins in 1867 when the German priest by the name of Reverend Peter Leonard <gasps> Those crazy Germans. arrived in the city. During this time, yellow fever epidemic was in full force ah, and people were dropping like flies. Reverend Thevis turned to his faith in God and his prayers to St. Rock, the patron of good health and oddly enough dogs, invalids, <laughs> surgeons, sick cattle, tie makers and bachelors. <laughs> Well, that's a lot. Did he get all the leftovers that nobody else would take? I don't know. I like him. I think I like him too. I'll take him a caramello koala. Not to be blasphemous, but that is one hell of a combination. Yes, after much prayer, Thevis vowed that no more of his parishioners would die from the widespread disease. He would erect a small chapel in honour of St. Rock. Surprisingly, not a single member of the church would succumb to yellow fever during the 1867 epidemic. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Wow. Wow. There's more. I don't know whether you want me to go on oh, or shall is, we come back around or, or uh, what? Well, we've got another couple of minutes. You've got another couple of juicy bits you can dig okay. out there. All right. Um, let me see. Uh, as time passed, it appeared that many of the visitors' prayers were being answered as an um, as an <coughs> honour to the beloved saint. The revitalised patrons would return to their beloved chapel and leave behind a reminder that they had been killed. I want to know. Killed. Healed. 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 Blessed be the killing. Um, so if they're Where's leaving. the guy with the eyes? <laughs> What's if, the story about that? If they're bringing these things back, that means they're cured. Yes. But how can you grow an eyeball back? <laughs> no, I have no idea. Is this the same place where they can get your virginity back, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I think Mary visited there. Oh, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> those who were crippled left prosthetics or plaster moulds of their cured limbs. Those who could now see. Oh, I see. They've left a mould of the, oh. not not mould as in green mould, but um, they've, they've uh, this leg is cured. I'm going to show you the, the mould of what the leg looked like. Yeah. Those who could now see left behind glass eyes, which is odd because it's not like one would receive an eye transplant. I wonder what was left in honour of being cured of erectile dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) A zucchini. (laughs) And St. Roche was all... Rock, rock, rock. I've got to say it right. We get into trouble. Uh, Was also the patron saint of bachelors. As if we're going to get in trouble for saying his name incorrectly after everything else we've said. Gosh. Yes, um, and uh, this would begin another tradition as young maids who were in search for a husband would make long pilgrimages to the chapel, leaving behind small amounts of money in the hopes of finding Prince Charming. What these poor women didn't realise is that they could have saved their money and stayed away from the cemetery while simply visiting any of the local bars and saloons in the city that were plenty filled with young lads. Waiting for a nightly encounter. <laughs> oh, it's no surprise that um, with the cemetery and chapel decorated with such oddities, tales of hauntings and strange encounters um, will be plentiful. Some feel that much of the supernatural happenings here are due to voodoo rituals that are said to have taken place over the years. Well, other, maybe more, they have. Yeah, other more over-the-top stories tell of large ghostly canines wandering through the cemetery. <laughs> Could these be related to the 
um, to the hellhounds that are found in New Orleans. Mm. Oh, oh, I want to go there and stare at the eyeballs. <laughs> oh, my God, that sounds I'll so pick good. Pick one up and pop it in my mouth and go, like the ping pong balls. Oh. No, I so there that. is a picture of a wall. We'll put it up all with right. all, Make a note for all the limbs and everything on it. Yep. Uh, there's one that looks like a, a cushion. You know, the cushion that you put under your backside. Oh, when like you have an if you've got a sore tailbone, mm. sore numbum. Mm. Well, I've got one of those for you for the plane trip, Renata. Oh, thank you. I know, because it makes a difference. Oh. Mind you, if we get upgraded to business class, we won't need it. But look, we're going to have to finish up there. We've got to get to a song. And guys, we'll be back with more amazing information straight after this. You're listening to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. It's the ABC of Mythical Creatures. Oh, I'm enjoying doing my little tunes before I put it in and uh, and stir it up and uh, see what pops out. <laughs> I need more coffee. So, it is that time of the evening. Yes, we've shuffled things around a little bit this evening, uh, but we are doing the ABC of Mythical Creatures, and this week is the letter S. For what? Well, I'm lisping a little bit on S's now because of this stupid CPAP machine I'm using. It's making me push push my teeth forward. I'm not happy, Jan. Not happy. Anyway, we're going to Siren. That siren? I didn't know that that was a mythical creature. We are going um, into some Greek mythology. Oh, right. You know the Greeks made all of that shit up, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) You're not helping, Renata. This, this is solid knowledge for our listeners who are taking this in, they're soaking it in, and they're becoming better human beings for their knowledge. Right, okay. <laughs> uh. <coughs> anyway, I'll get my speaking voice ready. Uh, sirens are often depicted as creatures with the head of a woman and the body of a bird. I didn't Bird? know that. I know. I thought it was a fish. No, they're mermaids. La- no, that's are mermaids. They uh, though in later traditions, they're sometimes re- represented as beautiful women. <gasps> that would be us. We must be sirens. They're known for their enchanting voices and music, which they use to lure seamen, no, sailors, to their death on rocky shores. The sirens are said to reside on an island and their music was so alluring that the poor old seamen couldn't help themselves. They just steered right onto the rocks. There'd be seamen all over the rocks. The, the, the ships were smashed to bits. Seamen everywhere. The surrounding waters were strewn with rocks, causing the ships to crash and the sailors to perish. In order to avoid the siren songs... Odysseus, the hero of... Oh, he used, to, he used to tie himself to the mast, didn't he? I think so. And yell, uh, yell um, things. Uh, yeah. Right, go do right, this. right. I can't do anything. Rock. My hands are tied. Uh, the hero of... <laughs> can I get on with the story? No. Uh, the hero of Homer's Odyssey had his men plug their ears with beeswax and tie him to the mast of the ship so he could hear the song without being able to steer the ship towards danger. Well done, Renate. You remembered your Greek mythology. Like, why is is he allowed to hear the song when all of of the men um, uh, have beeswax in their ears? 
because he's he's allowed to um, enjoy the siren songs, apparently. I don't know. That's, that's not fair. Now, the, the, you've made a common mistake all at the start of this segment, and I'm glad I could instruct you further. Sirens are often confused with mermaids, mm. which are also mythical creatures depicted with human upper bodies and fish tails. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the two are distinct in, and different in classical mythology. The mermaids have different origins and stories associated with them, and they don't share the sirens' association with singing to lure seamen to their deaths. Oh, I uh, see. Now, they've appeared in quite a few movies and things. Did you know that? Well, um, there, there was a movie called Sirens that was made in Australia. That's and see, right. That, that has just con- confused me because they were all... Beautiful women. They were swam in the ocean. Yeah, they were desirable. Yes, and one of them was um, one of our Australian L McPherson. I bet there was a lot of seamen that enjoyed that. (laughs) Anyway, there is a movie. Do it again. Sorry, sorry, didn't get. There was one. Let me tell you about this one. The movie in 2016, a horror. It's called Siren, and it's not our L. It's a horror movie about a bachelor party that becomes a savage fight for survival when the groomsman unwittingly unleashes a fabled predator, the siren. Uh, Then we've got Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? This is a Coen Brothers film and the sirens are depicted in a scene with the protagonists are seduced by women washing clothes in a river. We're quite sexy when we're washing clothes in the river, us women. Uh, Look, there was one called The Odyssey, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, on Stranger Tides featured mermaids that had some siren-like quality, so they blended those ones together there. No wonder people are confused. That's correct. Um, It was in Once Upon a a Time. It was in Charmed. It was in The Simpsons. Oh, well, everything in The Simpsons comes true. And, of course, Sinbad's Legend of the Seven Seas. But, you know, we can't do uh, an ABC Mythical Creatures without a story. Oh, no. I'm going to go make a coffee. No, don't you dare. Stay there. The Melody of the Hidden Cove. Once upon a time, (laughs) in a small seaside village, there lived an old fisherman named Thaddeus. Thaddeus had heard tales of mysterious and enchanting melody that emanated from a hidden cove, said to be the dwelling of a siren named Seraphina. The villagers warned everyone to stay away, for those who sought the melody never returned. Thaddeus, intrigued by the tales and feeling the weight of his years, decided to seek out the hidden cove and hear the melody for himself. Armed with courage and a small lantern, he set off along the rocky shoreline under the shimmering moonlight. As Thaddeus approached the cove, the air grew denser, and a hauntingly beautiful melody filled the air. The music was unlike anything he had ever heard. You going to sing, Renata? Filling him with a mixture of sorrow and euphoria, Thaddeus felt an irresistible pull towards the source of the melody. Inside the cove, bathed in the silver glow of the moonlight, sat Seraphina on a rock. On a rock. On a rock. Her beauty was ethereal, her voice a symphony of longing and love. The water around her sparkled with a magical light, and Thaddeus felt time stand still. 
Seraphina's eyes met Thaddeus's, and for a moment he felt the pang of understanding, the shared loneliness of two souls. The sirens sang of ancient battles, lost soldiers, sailors, and love that transcended time. Thaddeus, entranced, stepped closer to the water's edge, his heart aching with the beauty of the song. But... <laughs> You've just ruined it. I'm building to a crescendo here. But Hurry up. But... <laughs> Well, people, please send a text and tell Auntie Renata how rude she is. But amidst the enchantment, Thaddeus remembered the tales of the villagers, of men who had been lured to their doom by the siren song. With a strength he didn't know he possessed, Thaddeus resisted the pull of the music. He took a step back, then another, his heart heavy with the knowledge that he could not join Seraphina in her world. Seeing the resolve in Thaddeus's eyes, Seraphina's melody changed. It was no longer a song of allure, but a lament of goodbye. The music resonated with the whispering winds and the rustling of leaves, a symphony of nature bidding farewell to a lonely soul. Thaddeus's tears fell down his face as he left the cove, carrying with him the memory of the melody and the knowledge of a love that could never be. The villagers never saw Seraphine again, and the cove fell silent. But on quiet nights, when the moon was high, Thaddeus would sit by the shores. Listening to the whispers of the wind and the lapping of the waves, and he could remember the melody of the hidden cove, the song of the siren, Seraphina. Are you awake, Renata? Oh, sorry. Yes, I am. I'm sure we all enjoyed that. We'll be back with Renata's amazing story after the top of the hour. Bye. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. And welcome back, everyone, to more hijinks and hilarity from the Ghost Grannies, Anne and Renata, as we keep travelling through New Orleans and sharing our stories and letting you know about some of the places that we are heading to during this great tour. And if this goes off really well and you are all super jealous, maybe next year we'll do it again. Oh, maybe somewhere a little different because we're already going to Ireland yeah, in March. I know. And we're not honouring St. Patrick. It's no. going to be frightfully good sh- ghostly shenanigans. Yes. That's going to be the name of the tour. That is right. But I'm going to take you into a museum, and this is a really strange museum. And it's called the New Orleans Pharmacy Museum on Chartres Street. Um, And it has been in place since the 1950s as a museum 
of centuries-old medical treatments, equipment, and medicines. So as soon as you walk in, you are quickly taken back by the immense amount of items the museum has to offer. Everything is era-appropriate, meaning that you are immediately thrown back in time upon entering. The walls are filled with antique medicine bottles containing everything from standard aspirins to St. John the Conqueror's root and dragon's blood for voodoo practitioners. You can actually keep that in a jar? Absolutely. You secretly stopped at the apothecary to replenish their supplies. From here on, the tour of oddities only increases in interest. The museum rotates different exhibits and can often be quite strange to what the featured displays will be. I last visited the museum about 10 years ago. This is the writer and not me. I had the honour and privilege of observing an incredible exhibit that has truly given me a whole new appreciation for women. 18th century gynecological tools. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh, no. I remember seeing that that forceps thing, the the cervix dilator Mm. that was at the Prince Henry Hospital, and that looked like a medieval torture device. Yes. So this this writer here um, talks about them being torture devices that are on display, and that is a newly found respect for ladies. A man cannot help but cringe and walk by the exhibits with a hand inconspicuously guarding his genitals. Yeah, stick that up, you willy mate. See how you go. <laughs> Cold metal tables with uncomfortable stirrups were on display oh. as they hovered over large buckets to collect whatever rays of sunshine may have fell from the procedure. <laughs> what? <laughs> rays of sunshine? <laughs> what? Small flowers were meticulously hand-painted around the edges of these buckets as to mask the intensity of the moment. Laid out on a metal tray were even more gruesome instruments, most of which were used to poke, prod, cut, hook, scoop, expand, (laughs) or any combination thereof. (gasps) That that sounds terrifying. (laughs) If there's anyone that's pregnant listening to this, turn it off. (laughs) Turn it off. One memorable set of devices will stay etched in my mind forever, he says. Run away now. (laughs) In a small wooden box were various sizes of black rubber objects Uh said to be a kit to cure a woman from constipation. (laughs) These objects ranged from the size of a grape to the granddaddy wall climber that looked like a softball. What? Let's be frank here. As these items were simply (laughs) butt plugs that a curious individual may come across while glancing in an adult sex shop. Well, at least I've been told so, it says. The objects basically stretched the tunnel in question until the woman basically had no need to strain. It just slips out. Oh. Just whooped it on her. Out it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, oh. we end up with bowling balls up our butt because we sit around too long instead of moving oh. and then all that food just coagulates and then it becomes an issue. So that's I, we'll just sneak down to the museum and grab some butt plugs. We'll be oh. fine. Let me carry on because this is wonderful. Surprisingly more memorable than the objects were the actual how-to instructions that came with the kit. (laughs) (laughs) Only in the 18th and 19th centuries were people civilised enough to even make the insertion of large rubber objects into one's rectum sound like a bit of poetic prose. Where did you get this information from, Renata? Don't you love how I research? Oh, my God. I'm so glad this is in the second half of the show. Wow. Ah, now that your life is officially complete, yep. <laughs> um, I begin the history of oh, the okay. Pharmacy Museum. 
Ah, the museum itself was actually very first licensed apothecary in the United States. And the story begins in 1812 when Governor William C.C. Claiborne issued an order that established a mandatory licensing exam for pharmacists. In 1816, one of the first officially licensed pharmacists was a young man by the name of Louis-Joseph Duffalo Jr., He began his trade by working for his brother's apothecary situated on Toulouse Street. By 1823, Duffalo had become successful enough to open up his own shop. He did so by building a three-storey home on Chartres Street. The first floor was his workspace, while the second and third floors served as living quarters for him and his family. Dr. Duffalo, who ran his popular shop for over 30 years, um, was ready to return to his homeland of France and he sold the apothecary to a Civil War physician and pharmacist, Dr. Joseph Dupas. Here the story seems to take a turn for the worse. Uh-oh. Ooh, are we going on or should we take a break and come oh, back? Oh, no, no, we can keep going. Yeah. We can keep going. Dr. Dupas was said to be quite an evil individual. He is rumoured to regularly perform random and often deadly experimental medical procedures on young pregnant <gasps> women. The lucky ones were horribly damaged for life, while those not so lucky died from the experimentation. Many would say that when Dr. Dupas would kill the young women, he would hastily discard them by secretly transporting them to an awaiting carriage located at the rear of the home. It was uncertain as to the number of deaths that took place on the location that the bodies ultimately ended up at. But before examination, but sorry, before further examination and investigation of these mysterious deaths, Dr. Dupas would succumb to syphilis in 1867. Oh, you know what syphilis comes from doing? The home would fall into numerous hands for the next 80 years until it was purchased by the city of New Orleans. For several years, city officials planned to turn the historic home into a museum and their plans came to fruition in 1950. With such an incredible location that contains such a conglomerate amount of oddities, could the amount of paranormal activity reported here be due to the items themselves? Oh. <gasps> oh, get rid of the item and you get rid of the haunting. Well, maybe not. Maybe because not. Because now they are all located at the pharmacy museum. And Dr. Dupas even comes back. He, his apparition has been seen wandering through the building in a lab coat. Oh. His figure has been predominantly seen on the second floor. Staff and visitors have reported being softly nudged or pushed as they climb the stairs. Objects are said to move around the display cases by themselves and many people have experienced shortness of breath, nausea, discomfort when entering the spectral, when encountering the spectral Doctor. Oh, I don't want to meet him. Mm, you I, want, I don't like doctors at any stage. Oh, I must admit I have found a really lovely doctor, but um, yeah, doctors terrify me. You know I suffer from white coat syndrome, don't you? Mm. It means my blood pressure goes through the roof when they try to take my blood pressure. Yes, yes. <sighs> Isn't that a great story? That's a great story. I can't believe we're going to all these places. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Okay, so we are now going to take a break, go to a song, and we will be back shortly with more from New Orleans. Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. 
And welcome back, everyone, to the Spooky Sunday Show. The special edition. The special edition. Um, and, uh, Anne, I believe you have some true ghost stories to share. Yes, I do. Uh, and I, I have to warn you. I've, I've been a little bit of a devil and I've just gone in and grabbed a true ghost story. This really happened to someone and I haven't had a practice read, which means I haven't read the whole story, so I hope it's not crap. Right, here we go. It is called The Screaming Ghost of Katrina and it is by, um, oh, Clarence? Yeah, by Clarence. And... He, it's about Louisiana, mm-hmm. of course. So he starts off with a disclaimer. At the risk of bragging, I should disclose that I tell scary stories for a living. Oh. While that might lead to some to assume I'm making all of this up, if anything, it should actually lend validity to the following claim because I make stuff up on a professional level and therefore have no desire to try and validate my fiction writing skills on a site meant to host true ghost stories. I promise I would share all of mine eventually, though, and it's about time I actually try to do that. I was born and raised in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina hit the summer after my senior year of high school. This story takes place two Christmas Eves later outside the swanky lakefront condo where I was currently living. And that was only because for a good while after Katrina, the whole city suffered from an epidemic of vacant luxury apartments. Those brave few of us who had come back early enough that you could still smell the inside of everyone's refrigerator when you drove down the street were able to live pretty much wherever we wanted to for insanely cheaply. Before the lakefront condo, I had been paying $200 a month to rent a two-bedroom apartment on Magazine Street, which is currently going for eight times that. I only moved to the lakefront condo because it was cheaper, if you can believe that. My mum was still living in Baton Rouge at this time and my younger sister had wanted to see the extended family for Christmas, so she was crashing with me at night. Even though she was in her late teens by this point, it had been a rough past few years and my mum wanted to surprise my sister with Christmas presents when she woke up in the morning which is how I ended up spending most of Christmas Eve driving all the way to Baton Rouge and back, my trunk now full of wrapped presents and my sister's dog, May May, in the passenger seat, panting with anticipation. This was during the, like, two whole weeks of winter we get here each year, and I remember it was cold enough that night that we were, that there was snow on the I-10 For a lifelong Nola native, that sight alone was pretty surreal. I got back to the condo at about 3am and had parked out the front instead of parking inside the garage to make it easier to unload the car. I called my girlfriend to confirm that my sister was asleep and was waiting for her to come down and take May May so I could safely sneak the presents up. I wanted to save my girlfriend time and meet her at the entrance to the complex. So I clipped May May's leash to her collar and we exited the car. We had just started towards the building when it happened. Now, you need to understand that May May is one of the sweetest dogs ever. 
when she sees literally anybody, her tail starts a wagging because she knows there's at least an off chance she might get attention. I had never heard May May growl for real until that moment. It took me a second to realise it was even her making that noise. My gaze was on the building's entrance when the growling started and I looked down just in time to see May May stop dead in her tracks and then hunched down so low her belly was almost touching the ground. She was looking at the vacant lot bordering the left side of the condo complex and I reflexively turned to follow her line of sight. I saw a crying woman standing there just beyond the corner of the building. She was in her 30s and had vaguely curly blonde hair, barefoot and wearing only a a white t-shirt that was long enough to resemble a nightgown. The woman was sobbing, and normally, if I were to see a half-naked woman sobbing in the middle of the night, I'd like to think my first reaction would be to try and help her. But something about the sound of May May's growl had sent a chill up my spine, and when I spotted the woman... I froze in place as alarm bells began to go off from what felt like the most primitive parts of my brain. And as soon as she saw me see her, we locked eyes and the woman let out the most blood-chilling scream I have ever heard. If you've seen the recent ring camera footage of a car driving by someone's house with a possible female kidnapping victim in the passenger seat, this woman's scream sounded a lot like that. She pointed out at the lake in front of her, behind me, as the scream seemed to go on forever, even longer than you'd think someone could scream. And then she was gone. The woman didn't fade away. It wasn't even like I blinked and she had vanished. She was simply there and then she wasn't. Her scream cut off just as suddenly, but the sound of it still ringing in my ears. About a week later, one of the maintenance men told me that before Katrina, a homeless couple with two kids used to live out of an old shed that had been abandoned on the vacant field between the complex and the neighbouring building. Of course, they hadn't been seen since the hurricane, and like many of the city's homeless, were presumed dead. And of course, my description of the screaming woman matched the mother of this homeless family exactly, down to her slightly curly blonde hair and the long t-shirt she wore like a dress, which led me to conclude that she hadn't been pointing at the lake. She'd been pointing at the floodwaters. You're listening to Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata on Newcastle Live. Welcome back to the show, everyone. You are listening to the very last moments tonight of... (laughs) Spooky Sundays. 
gosh. It's the last moment the as last it's drawing moment. its last yeah. breath. Yep, that's well, right. for this show anyway. Yeah. We hope you've had um, a great time listening to the stories that uh, we've been bringing you over the last week or two yeah. uh, from New Orleans. I'm sure we'll have far more experiences to share when we get back, but mm-hmm. it's been interesting to research some of these stories because um, we've kind of already laughed and, and cried and got excited about some of these places. And to think as you are hearing them, we are actually there. We are actually there in New yes. Orleans. This is a, a huge bucket list thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone I've spoken to is so jealous that we're going. Oh no, and that's that's what makes it extra special. Yeah. There's jealousy involved. <laughs> we do like it when people are jealous because it makes us feel so special. <laughs> but Renata, yes, there is something disastrous approaching next week. Do we come back? No, we come back the week after. But there is a very important date coming up: the twelfth yeah. of October. Oh. Yes. In four days' time. Yes. It will be Auntie Nata's birthday. And she gets to celebrate that with our final dinner in New Orleans because we finish on the 13th. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that won't be a final. It'll be the second last night. So we'll have to have a dinner that night, too. Um, We'll buy cake. Yeah, we'll buy cake. Uh, And we will be celebrating your birthday in, um, well, we'll actually be out in the swamps by that stage. Mm. Oh, well, you know. We might be. Some people will say that's where I belong. (laughs) But yes, we will be finishing up on the following. What is it? The the Friday, and I think we fly out on the Saturday, Mm -hmm. and then we will be in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. going back to my old stomping ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm hiring the Tesla. To drive around in? What could go wrong, I'm going people? to chauffeur you around in a Tesla. Oh, I'm videoing that. No, and it's on the wrong side of the road, but that's why I wanted the Tesla, because it's got the cameras, it's got the alarm systems. I have driven in LA many times. You have. I yes. have. Yeah. Um, my son learned to drive in LA. Um, could explain his bad driving. No, he's, <laughs> he's all right. But yeah, I'm going to do um, take you to Ross stores, mm-hmm. Marshall stores. Mm-hmm. We're going to eat... Definitely disgustingly good food, mm-hmm. bad food. Mm-hmm. We're going to have funnel cakes. I'm going to take you up to the oh, Universal Boardwalk. Funnel cakes. We're going to go to Pinky's Hot Dogs, Pink's oh. Hot Dogs. Oh, Can we share some of this stuff, Anne? Absolutely. Please, because, you know, it's, yeah. there's just so much sugar-laden food that we can all have. I know. And I'm <laughs> sure we're going to come back to so svelte and slim after all of this. Oh, no. But Is there mock cream in America? Oh. Oh, yes. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> if we were going to Disneyland, I could have just smothered you in mock. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can find somewhere to buy your birthday cake for your birthday. That's my only concern oh, if we're out in the, the bayou. The bayou. Surely, surely well, there's something. Well, I'll make you a mud pie. <laughs> we might be sleeping on the steamboat at that stage. Oh. I don't know. You'll be hurling it all over the side. It'll be burly. Oh, no. oh. <laughs> all right, Renata, wrap us up and get us out of here. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, we will be back next week with uh, more shenanigans and more true stories, more ghost stories, more made-up shit. And until then, we want to say goodbye, good night, auf Wiedersehen, auf Wiedersehen, and um, yeah, all of that shit, me. Big shout out to the Frightfully Good.
good volleys too for holding the fort while Absolutely. we're gone. Thank you so be frightfully very much. good, everyone. See you on the dark side. Stay spooky mm. and don't, don't be, be a dickhead. dickhead. Bye. Most mysteries can be solved by looking at the facts, but sometimes the facts don't give us the answer. So it's time to call in Anne and Renata. Spooky Sundays, when the truth lies beyond a logical answer. Dive deep into the world of the unknown with real ghost stories and the unexplainable. Sometimes unconventional, but always entertaining. It's Spooky Sundays with Anne and Renata. Sunday from 8pm, only on Newcastle Live.